Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Paul Schmidt as a guest. Paul Schmidt is a philosopher and comedian. He has written 13 books about non-duality, neuroscience and psychology, and he doesn't take himself and live that seriously. Yeah, what I find interesting is your combination of neuroscience and like spirituality, because often it's like, we are the brain, like Dick Schwab, you know, like we're just automatons and the other part is just like, yeah, the universe flows through you, etc. How do you get into both of these domains? Well, there are two ways of looking at the world. One is called materialism and the other one is idealism or also non-duality. So the materialistic worldview is like everything is matter. And the idealistic worldview is totally different. And that goes into the direction of everything is consciousness in which everything appears and disappears, including our whole universe. So... I find both ways very interesting, but in the end, I'm a non-dualist. So I believe that the, we are not our brain, but the brain is an appearance within consciousness. So there's no such thing as death. Everything is infinite and we are all one. That's my worldview. <laughs> so, Mr. Schmidt, you say that there's no free will. Uh, no, because everything is one energy at play and all separation is an illusion so in the end this what i call pole is simply energy in movement and everything simply goes as it goes so nothing in the universe could be different from what it is than as it is at this point so free will is a well there's not even yeah well, what, what what would we define as free will what would be the definition of free will yeah well it's a very hard definition because if there's a will, it already can't be free. Mm-hmm. So it's a paradox. But normally by free will, we mean that this person, me as an individual, can make my own decisions. So I can choose to drink water or Coca-Cola or coffee. Well, in the world we live in, our brain gives us the illusion of free will. So f- my experience is absolutely that it's my choice to be in your podcast drinking water. Mm-hmm. While if I zoom out and look at it from a wider perspective, I can see that I'm just energy with a certain programming and my brain automatically chose for water. And then afterward, it creates the self-awareness, which includes the, the illusion that I am Paul and I did choose the water. But that's merely an experience and not a, a real thing. I sometimes, it's going to be a deep podcast anyway, but yeah, these topics is the thing that, you know, religion has been like you also as a comedian. When people ask like, is it genetic or is it contextual? Almost always the answer is for the smart biologists out there. It depends. It's a gene environment interaction. Doesn't that kind of determine the expression of the gene? Because within that non-duality, it wouldn't even matter. But isn't there something within that consciousness matrix that would still potentially be influenced by the context or the evolution of events? Well, we can see that in the end, it's all energy at play. So this is uh, a body. It's a piece of, with a brain, it's a piece of energy. And the way this person that we call Paul functions, it's due to a genetic part, like approximately 50%. And it's my whole up-to-date conditioning up till now. And then even your conditioning is influencing your genes. It's called epigenetica. So it's a mixture of both. But I do not choose my own genetic material and I do do not choose my conditioning. So from my non-dualistic perspective, it doesn't matter. It's just the way the human being is programmed. Let me challenge you by a controversial topic, right? What is the expression then of a transgender who was born in a male or female body and then they decide that they're a completely other biological gender? Is that just a non-duality and expression because it's actually negating the objective biology of the person? Well, from a non-dualistic perspective, it's simply that what happens. So that person could never make the decision 
I want to be a man uh, or a woman or anything in between. I don't care. So, but it's not the decision of that person. But from an ev evolutionary standpoint, we could look at it and ask other questions like, why is this happening? Wouldn't it lead to a first step, maybe fatalistic standpoint of like, what's the use anyway? It doesn't matter at all, like what I'm doing. Like, it, it almost seems that there's like no morals then. Like, where is the, the moral benefit of making the just choice when you're just expressing yourself? Well, we do have morality and, and ethics, and this is just because that is part of the programming. So the reason I'm trying to raise my kid in a proper way mm -hmm. in Texas and I step on the brakes for a red light, it's not my choice, but morality, etc., is part of my programming, but it's not my decision. I'm going to challenge you really hard in this podcast, which I go think on, is interesting. <laughs> what if you're a genocidal maniac? What if you're a serial killer? That's always, yeah, but what about Adolf Hitler? Adolf Hitler also was. Oh, well, how do you call place. it? Like, it's pretty early, right? They have a, like, using Hitler. <laughs> I don't care. I've been yeah, talking yeah. for the subject for 20 years, so, <laughs> so it's fine. Now, but he was also energy at play with a certain programming. That's why he did what he did. And I'm not saying that it's a good thing he did, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I'm just saying he played that part in this whole movie that we call life. And as we can see, the matrix we live in, the dream we live in, is absolutely, in our experience, dualistic. It's quite tough to be alive. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of, but also a lot of pleasure and fun as well. But it's, in the experience, it's 100% dualistic. What if Adolf Hitler in court would say, Paul Schmidt says that I'm, it's just my programming, I just expressed myself, why are you trying to punish me? True, but the reason that the judge punishes him is also because the judge is programmed. <laughs> so in the end, you are not responsible, but you are accountable. So for instance, if you, don't, if you steal something from a shop, then it was your programming that made you steal something. So you're not responsible, but within this dream we live in, you are accountable. So the judge will say, yes, but your body-mind mechanism did perform that action, and therefore you are accountable and you will be punished. So I'm not saying it's a, a ticket to do anything you like in life. <laughs> no, you, you are still accountable for your actions, even though there is not a you making that decision. But I always was wondering about people who talk about enlightenment or connecting to source or the Advaita tradition, etc. is how could you ever realize that you're in that state? Because when you realize it, you're also already separate from it or you witness it. So you wouldn't be in the experience of the consciousness or the non-dual. True. That's why this is the... <laughs> man, I've never had an interview going so deep within the first five minutes. <laughs> No, I like it. I mean, this is, these are the really interesting questions. <laughs> um, it's a paradox. You, you see, so in the end, it's our consciousness. So you are that what is looking at the movie. And at the same time, you as a character play a role within the movie. So right now, I'm aware that this body is moving. There's noise coming out of his mouth. And at the same time, the brain creates the illusion that this is me. But in the end, you are this awareness that is looking at the movie and you're, you're also that puppet. But the reason why we suffer so much is because we, we identify with that separate individual performing actions. So, and when I think that I am Paul, there are instantly two fears. The first one is, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. Everyone is insecure. And the second one, I need to control life. But well, this is the basis of, of actually all psychological problems, all the mental issues, etc. Because we identify with this body-mind mechanism and we overlook that we are actually the consciousness looking at it all. So when I would be the one, when you compare it to like light through projector shining at the screen and the consciousness and within the big theater of life, you know, even with the Maya, you know, the illusions, etc., I would try to change the projector, change the storyline, make it more interesting, try to change the characters. You would just watch the movie. 
And then at a certain point, maybe just watch you watching or whatever, or scoop back into yourself or yourself like between brackets. Yeah. 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 And uh, once there's the realization that you are this consciousness, you, I'm just witnessing what Paul does. I have no clue what I will be saying to you in the next second. This is all going automatically, but uh, the identification with this thing uh, dissolves more and more. So there's no fear or struggle about what's happening within this illusion. So, and this is what they call enlightenment, the realization that, that you are the one is looking at a certain game. And when the identification dissolves, uh, when then a lot of struggle dissolves as well, almost everyone suffers because of the identification. I don't know if you're religious or not, but why is there suffering then? Is it because consciousness wants to dance with itself and like to have contrasts and then, you know, play out the movie and different kinds of scenarios? Actually, I think we don't know what it is and why it is happening. There are some philosophical ideas about it, like comedian Bill Hicks once said, we are God realizing his full potential. So if, let's say, this is just, just a concept, a, a philosophical concept, if we are all one and we are love, etc., then how do we know this? Then there has to be something opposite of what we are, because you can only know what's warm if you know what is cold. So the idea is that, let's say, God <laughs> created an illusion where he could experience itself in total duality. That's, a friend of mine said the exact same thing. Instead of like the fall of man by man betraying God, it was, to put it bluntly, it was God being God and being bored. So he just wanted to have humans and contrast to make it interesting and experience himself in different ways. It's even in the Bible. It's like God is bored and he says, I want to be two dogs, then I can play. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just a concept. But I mean, I think it's, it's a nice point. Did your enlightenment came by facing your ego or transcending it? Or Eckhart Tolle was like the pain body, etc. Or how did that insight blossom in you? Well, there's not someone enlightened because there is simply no one. So by saying I am enlightened, <laughs> I'm totally back within the illusion. So enlightenment is your natural state. So there's no one enlightened, but everyone is enlightened. But some people have forgotten that they are. That's difference i think so this whole process of awakening that takes a lot of years because mostly we're so conditioned to believe that we are this being and we need to control life and to create a self-image and what will people think of me and uh, when you more and more realize that you are simply awareness looking at it then gradually let's say the ego gets more it dissolves step by step. It's a long process. Zen Buddhists sometimes meditate on it for 10 years and stuff. So it's not something you can instantly get. What you can get, like Eckhart Tolle, is like an instant insight. I had the same thing that at one point I was like, oh, wait a minute, now I get it. So at a rational level, you can instantly get it. And then the process of awakening starts. Yeah. A huge part of our society is still based on that. I think so I am. I think I am. And then I am. <laughs> That's maybe your thing in the end. And am maybe is the last one. I still feel we're still in that this Descartian model of like objectivism and it has to be tangible, especially with the role of technology trying to control more and more aspects of its life. Like what's the role of... This is a discussion I wanted to have with you as a non-dualist about the role of, of technology and, and transhumanism and transcending the, the human. Do we have any ethical, moral stance towards this? Or is your stance like, yeah, this is another evolution between brackets of society and it, universe consciousness is just unfolding? Well, from the non-dual perspective, it's simply what is. But of course, me as an actor in the movie, this thing has got opinions and thoughts about everything. <laughs> so... Mm -hmm. I also write books about my opinion about it. I mean, technology, technology is nice in a certain way, but it's also creating many, many mismatches between our brain that is actually still programmed as if we were living as hunters and gatherers on the African savanna. Mm -hmm. And that same brain has, has now come into a totally crazy society. And, and then we got like these kinds of apparatus 
This is totally addictive for a brain, you know? It's just a dopamine shot after. So, so everyone is an addict these days, and this is not their fault, but it's a mismatch between how we are programmed and the society we currently live in. Yeah, and this is also what I see in the future. I mean, when you look at the relationship and the serotonin and oxytocin and all this stuff being played, like, you know, the neurochemical cocktails in our brain, we aren't able to handle this temptation to handle these choices, and it's only going to be increasing. So that really worries me. You had the social dilemma. Don't know if you uh, watched it. Yes. Purposely manipulate your perception, your desires, your neurotransmitters to make you addicted to it. And it's proven, you also know this, it makes people more lonely, more anxious, more depressed, etc. So they're actually are milking, replacing human needs with technological needs that keep them like in an addiction loop. In the end, I, I did stop giving trainings to these companies because they wanted to hire me and then <laughs> they wanted me to explain how, how they could manipulate people and influence the brain and at a certain point, I just couldn't do it anymore. I'm like, this, this is my morality being programmed. I'm like, now I had big pharma coming on to me and we need to push it more to the people. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. So it's crazy. It's, it's <laughs> we're crazy beings. <laughs> I often talk about this, why curiosity will be the downfall of men, you know, or the evolution of the, you know, non-dual thing, because... Just like Penelora's box, just like Blackbeard, we, we, we want to keep on pushing the curiosity. And sometimes we open a box that we wish we didn't open. And then it's like, fuck, you know, it's stronger than me. I'm too tempted. Like I opened up something I shouldn't know, you know? Yeah. And this is when I do research about it. I also read about it in a book by Professor Bob DeWitt, who I on my podcast about Society 4.0. So many jobs will be replaced by robots and machines. You have machine learning, you have 3D printing. So in the future, you will have a lower caste that doesn't have technology inserted in their body because they're not cyborgs, because people who are between middle, like, you know, the higher citizens are cyborgs. And then the highest one are like the top robots because they can work faster, easier, more efficient, no, no, no emotion. So now they push for the examinations, as I call it. But then you will be pushed to insert technology in your body because you just can't keep up with that technology. Einstein said the Homo sapiens created the atomic bomb, but no mouse will ever construct a mousetrap. <laughs> no? Yeah. I mean, in the end, Homo sapiens is the dumbest species that ever lived <laughs> on this planet <laughs> because we create stuff, and with that stuff, we make it ourselves so difficult. We make ourselves more depressed, and in the end, we'll get extinct by our own inventions. <laughs> so, uh, and the mouse will still be living when we are gone. <laughs> That's also an interesting thing. I think you can be a non-dual and think about consciousness, but there's also there's beauty about limits. There's beauty about being fragile. There's beauty about that. There's beauty about the, the, the temporal thing. of we, we, we are postponed it, but it also makes it much more valuable and beautiful and human. And it touches us because if it's everlasting or just because of comfort and a machine does it, it it's just not the same. And our brain is, is used to live in a world full of scarcity. So whenever you could find something or get something, we would instantly have this dopamine rush, become happy. But now their temptations are everywhere so there's so much stuff coming on to our brain each day so i'm not amazed that in the netherlands 16 percent of our population is in, in, in burnout they're exhausted you know wow. so that, that's a lot and it's still increasing so i do really find it interesting about what would be the solutions, but it seems that we first <laughs> are going towards a crisis before we wake up. A bit more. Yeah, and also it, it comes to what the default of society is. These poor children, that's, I have my own stance about what's going on, are grown with a way of not hugging, not touching, social distancing, technology everywhere, control there. And that becomes the norm. It reminds me of, and it actually happened in a place where you lived, where during the hunger winter, during the Nazis, I think certain uh, Dutch people, they had to eat like very little. So their body was like, oh, there's little food. We have to store every little piece of energy out there. And what they found in those people is they became super obese in the future because their body was being programmed. Like, yes, it's a scarce society. So I have to capture any calorie that's out there. Yeah. And the same thing will happen now. So children will be traumatized and that will have their influence when they're older and also upon the new generations because trauma is even in our genes. 
So if like your grandfather was traumatized, it can still be in your genetic material. Is that a kind of karmic thing that you look at without being like religious, something that... Well, in a way, yes. So it, it gets installed in the gene, then you reproduce and the gene goes on to the next generation. So yes, a lot of people also with narcissistic tendencies, etc. that's all due to trauma in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, what worries me is that human needs are being replaced by technological needs. The needs for status is the they're replaced by likes on Instagram and followers, etc. You know, the, the the need for survival is just like buying things from the deliveries who, who delivered it to you at home. You know, and what really worries me is that those big things they keep on getting bigger. They should call it gigantic <laughs> right now instead of big, and they keep on sucking more and more power, control, and influence. And I feel. Because if you think that it's a, an illusion and it's all programming, yes, but that is where a lot of the money is right now or choosing where society is heading. If you're in the perceptual industry, if you're in the matrix building industry, information industry, you kind of determine what, you know, this temporary body sees before its eyes, you know? Yes, true. So these current times might be the biggest shift in the human history ever. And people are not aware of it. They really think there's some killer virus and that we need yeah. a vaccine to get out of it. Now there's something way bigger happening at this moment. And this is this might be the biggest shift ever. This so. is something that I don't understand because I have my specific stance, but people never have to think what I do. But I think are people so estranged from their gut feeling, from their source, from their intuition? Because with everything that's going on, you gotta feel something that some strange stuff is going on, right? No matter what part of it, but that gut feeling, that intuition, are we just so overstimulated and distracted that we don't yeah, get well, in touch with that inner feeling? But once you have a lot of fear, that's when your intuition is gone because the brain keeps in its beta status and not the alpha and theta. So people are scared. And what we do when we are scared, we try to do what the group does in order to survive. And there's this psychological concept that if I tell you a small lie, then you will believe it. If I tell you a big lie, then you're like, no, no, this can't be true. And because the current lie is so enormous, this is why the majority of people, is their brain simply can't comprehend it. Because if, can we, I mean, like you and I, we, we every day we are looking for content, we are curious people, we've got a lot yeah. of dopamine, so this is what we do by nature. But some people... They love routine to do the same thing every day. They've got more serotonin. So they don't want to know this because if you realize how big the lie is, then your whole paradigm has to shift. And this is, this is a risk because your friends will think you're crazy. Your whole social environment will think you're crazy. Plus P, and this is just the mere exposure effect. People are being brainwashed by giving them uh, subjective information day after day after day. This is brainwashing. This is how it works. There are more techniques, of course, but so this is, has happened. So it's hard for people <laughs> to, this is why your podcast is so good. So, so people start to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah. And that's the number one thing why people are not even opening up the rabbit hole to investigate this. They say like, this can be happening, that the lie is so big and that so people are involved. But, and it's a Dutch person who made it. You can look at the documentary by Tim Heelan. And Tim Healy made a documentary about, you know, all the investment funds, BlackRock investment, Vanguard investment, who own a completely insane big amount of portfolio. And they have a lot of ownership in different companies. So even when you go to the Netherlands, Belgium, it's all in the hands of Antilo or a couple of companies. When you take a look at the media in America or pharma, et cetera, you see a lot of intertwining things. So it doesn't mean so many people have to be involved. You just have to have a stake in the perceptual and information industry, and you have to play with needs, emotions, and desires, because in the end, yeah, we think that we're also rational, but a lot of times it's these need emotions and good intentions, right? Good intentions that sometimes are being used to, to sell things or to push an agenda, which which is sad because I think also you just told me that you got some offers, you know, that, yeah, can you help us for people to become more addicted or sell our stuff, right? So I know a lot, there's a lot of money to be made there, man, if you're into, you know, behavioral psychology, let's say, and then learn no, how true. to... Yeah. And normally that they, I used to do it a few years ago to companies that I liked, but they would pay me enormous amount of money just to learn that stuff. 
and to be able to implement it. But and their issue is not money because they can print it as much as they like. I mean, they're doing it. <laughs> they're doing it. One fifth of all the dollars in the world are being printed this year in 2021, and it's now August. So th there's going to be a huge inflation ahead. So I I'm Paul, what are you saying, bro? It's magic money. My partner in crime, so to speak, in he lives in the United States. They're dropping all their dollars. So they're buying real estate, bitcoins, and gold and silver. But everyone on Wall Street <laughs> dumped. They say cash is trash because they know what's coming. And but, but most people are not aware. But they <laughs> just do their daily routine, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, this is a horrible truth that I'm realizing a lot with the guests I interview, also maybe the selection bias of the guests that I interview, but I try to give perspectives that are not highlighted enough. You've been studying this for 20 years. I feel a lot of knowledge about biology, the brain, psychology, sociology. It's mostly being used by companies, marketing, propaganda, public relations to help people consume, but you could also use this for the good. You could look, how can we help people get more fulfilled, you know, like let go, unite, you know, find their passion. But I find most is because there's not so much money in it, I guess. We're still in a symptom society or getting them addicted and consume instead of tackling the real cost, like with you, like finding yourself, self with a big S. That's well, so actually, I'm now giving trainings so individuals can, can join. And I only ask 50 euros, so it's nothing. Mm. And I try to educate people so they become aware. I mean, there are 70 techniques of how to manipulate. And so, so I teach them how that works in the brain. So then you can build up a little defense for yourself. So you can see through the illusions and see through the techniques that they're doing. And that's really beneficial. It's like Neil from the Matrix doing his moves and then stopping Agent Smith by anticipating his move. You know? <laughs> yeah. That was really, I don't know if you had the same impression, but that's one of the most deepest movies ever. And if you haven't watched it, you should watch it again this year because that's so many angles about what's going on. Like it's a very powerful movie. Maybe also as you like watching The Matrix and then The Architect and then stepping back and then Neo, the I, new I or like one. The, the, yeah. the metaphor that I use that metaphor a lot between the blue pill and the red pill. So I often say the blue pill is your... A current dream world that you live in. So that's, you were born and from that point on, everyone told you the blue pill. This is your reality. This is a 3D environment. There's time as a fourth dimension and then this is how you play your game. But when you take the red pill, then we, we enter the world of Advaita and non-duality and we say, okay, this seems to be real, but actually the universe is an illusion. You are an illusion. Free will is an illusion. And in the end, this is all the red pill. This is all one energy at play, as Einstein said, uh, or it's all one consciousness if we go one step deeper. And, and I think the good thing is also before you dive into the world of manipulation and corruption, etc., to first know that this is all a dream. This is, this is not real. And once you first notice that you can easily look at the movie, and yes, it's it's a strange movie that's played. Would you call it passionate detachment? You're still passionate about things, but you're like detached a bit about the bigger picture, but you're still passionate to make certain choices or, or watch it unfold or take a stand? Yeah, definitely. And also because once you see through the illusion, then a lot of fear dissolves and then intuition increases and creativity increases. That's even from a neuroscientific perspective, easy to comprehend. So yeah, there's still passion. And there's not that much fear to just go ahead and do stuff. You also have the Indian tradition where you talk about different paths to enlightenment for different people. You have like the Neo-Vedanta tradition where they use like thinking to go past thinking, put intellectual types. You have like um, devotional, devotion to yourself to connect with oneness. You also have like serving people, etc. Maybe also just meditating, Zen Buddhism, etc. What according to you are some ways to get in touch with this essence or this this expansion to the source or the whole or whatever you want to call it? Uh, that's different for everyone. Mm. It's in, it had also has to do with your programming. For me, Neo-Advaita was perfect. I'm an mm. intellectual. Mm. I yeah. could understand it. Then the insight brought me... Like Muji or not? or No, not even... No, like Wayne Lickerman, Tony Parsons, Ramesh mm. Bals, Anisika Datta, Ramana Maharshi. That, that's the line I come from. And... I am that, right? The thick book, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And Niska Dutta was definitely uh, 
<laughs> tough. But for other people, it's more the, the way of the bhakti. So it's like devotion and it's like surrendering yourself to the guru or meditating. The Dzogchen has got a lot of nice practices. So that's the most radical form of Zen Buddhism. Uh, and there's also Taoism, of course. So there are, there are many, many ways. And all these ways and techniques are simply... Rafts, right? Like raft. They, I like sometimes the analogy of what Alan Watts said, like it's a raft to take you somewhere, but then you don't carry the raft on you. You know, it, it takes you to the place. Yes, that's a nice metaphor. Also, like Peter Merchant once said, enlightenment is the ultimate solution to the problem that never existed. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Well, <laughs> what is the role of the ego? That's a good question. The, the, the ego is actually the self-awareness. So once you're one and a half years old, the brain uh, creates self-awareness. And that's ben beneficial for your uh, survival because you identify with the body. So if you say, Paul, would you like a drink? Then I know that with Paul, you mean this body-mind mechanism. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to function, we need the ego. But the realization is that you are not the ego, but you've got an ego. So the ego is merely a tool for us about how to act, how to communicate, etc. But because we take the ego so seriously, this is when the, the suffering starts. So it's not getting rid of the ego, it's seeing through the illusion of the ego. I sometimes see, I, mean, I like when I say I, let's use the big guy <laughs> in his own podcast, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's the useful yeah. part of the ego yeah. that you can just refer to yourself. A as reference a point, yeah. Because also in India, sometimes people try to avoid the word I. So they would say, this body-mind mechanism is 30. <laughs> but that makes no sense. <laughs> I often look at the three things that's like self-development, the future, looking forward to things, which is self-development. Then maybe the consciousness, meditation, being present. And then the thing working with trauma, past wounds, etc., emotions, that's like the psychology work. What I see sometimes happening in spiritual communities is that they do something like spiritual bypassing that they bypass their inner wounds their cone wounds their healing their trauma and they immediately try to make this spiritual ego by bypassing this while other people could maybe work on their wounds all the time but maybe just being present and meditating would work for them do you also feel it's an integration of those three things the self-development aspect the future oriented thing the present oriented thing but also when your spiritual work which from shadow work emotions trauma because you could easily fall into the trap like, you know, I'm just going to meditate and be and not work with that baggage of the ego or baggage in general. Yeah, I really like the three things you're mentioning. Actually, my latest book is about this subject. There's self-development and there's self-realization. So with self-development, it's like the character within the movie tries to improve him or herself, which is totally fine. And then there's self-realization. It's taking the red pill, seeing through the illusion. And then the third thing you mentioned, this is very important, it's like your traumas, you're still your mental pains and struggles. So when people try to take the red pill and there's still trauma, then it becomes like a smart trick of the brain, like, oh, I will meditate or become nihilistic and try to get rid of the trauma by rejecting it or telling myself it's all an illusion. And this is what they call the Advaita Shuffle. So my latest book is also about also healing the trauma first before you take the red pill. Because I've had a relationship with someone who was in such a trauma and then they took the red pill and then it becomes the Advaita Shuffle. It's just telling yourself constantly that you are enlightened and Try to get rid of the pain. And this is, this is really hard. So I really like the three things. <laughs> I think that's a good uh, way to clear things up. Yeah, I think these three aspects are like important. Being stuck in one or two, it can make it a bit less interesting, to say the least. What I, you're a comedian, right? And, and we talked a bit about trauma, right? I don't see this in you because you seem to be a happy dude, but there seems to be a big link between comedians and that they're like depressed or miserable or have a lot of pain and are very anxious. It's super prevalent with comedians. What is this link between humor and pain? It's an interesting one because not all comedians, obviously, but some are really dark and it's like, their way to compensate to go on stage and act really funny like Jim Carrey is one of those mm -hmm. 
He's a genius. I mean, I watched three of his movies lately. And it's so funny. Yeah. But then he's struggling so much. Not that much anymore, as I understood, because he's also into non-duality now and he realizes to look at himself from a different perspective. But I think it's uh, it could even be like a coping mechanism for someone to go on stage and pretend to be so funny. So it could be beneficial for your career. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think there are many comedians who struggle with that. How did you get started with like uh, comedy? You started seeing the Maya and you left your ass off and you had the right <laughs> jokes about it. I had an IT company actually. And then one of my friends, he became a famous comedian like within a year. And I was like, oh, this is so funny what he does. So I just sold my company and I went on stage to see if I could, if I could do it. And I made a lot of mistakes. I was learning really fast. And within a year, I had a good contract. So I could live from comedy and from... Really? Corner. Yeah. You thought so, the world is a stage anyway. <laughs> well, it is. So let's make fun of it a little. <laughs> no, true, true. No, but it seems so. I mean, it's on my list of things to, to, to do besides writing fairy tales. I think also, and maybe we'll talk a bit about later, that uh, expression and creativity. I know you make some music. is very important, I think, to also express yourself without trying to impress, which is still hard for me to find something that I do purely for the expression. It's a gruesome way to get better because you get laughed at, you know, you get like silence, awkward silences. There's a lot of competition. So yeah, it's a very gruesome training wheels to, to get good at stand-up comedy. Yeah, but when I started, I had to perform in front of drunk students or in a hard rock cafe with people like smoking pot. And so I was used to going on stage and being insulted within the first minute. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, come on. And then I had to He's so fast talking to these people and show them back and become funny. And then there was a famous Dutch comedian who got sick in the last moment. And I was repairing the laptop of the, the director of a booking company. And he was called like, the comedian, can't, he's sick. And he, he looked at me like, you're a comedian, right? I'm like, well, I'm just starting. Go to the theater and play. So, so I went in front of this theater in front of 700 decent people, well-dressed, behaving properly. And I was like, wow, they're not insulting me in the first yeah. moment. So, and that became so hilarious because every joke I told was actually working out well instead of people being drunk, staring at me. And that was the beginning of my career, <laughs> all by accident. What's your process of writing dumb jokes? Do you think of a scenario and then you think like, I'm going to vibe off it? I'm always interested in the process of how you find material. Yeah, I write with a friend of mine. He's a famous Dutch comedian. And the way we write, if you see us, you're like, these are the most boring guys in the world. Are they solving a mathematical solution or so? So we just sit there and then we type and then like, they're like, oh yeah, this is funny. Oh yeah, let's write it. So we're like deadly serious. We hardly ever laugh ourselves. And then he goes on stage and people. So This is how we trigger the serotonin. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, yes. It's funny. It's, it's a process that is not a rational thing. You, it's like making music. You have to feel it in your stomach, whether this is the, the right melody, the right rhythm, or whether it's the right joke, whether it's the right build-up. So I think a lot of creativity is not done by our ratio, but it's purely intuition that tells us whether it will work or not. And, and now we've been doing it for 20 years, so it becomes way easier. It's a funny process. And also from a non-dual perspective, we are not creating the jokes. You are the receiver of a joke. So you just wait. We sleep well. We don't drink alcohol. We eat proper food. So we make sure that our whole body is in good condition and the brain is clear. And then we just wait for something to pop up. So it's a very interesting process. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you that it's also sometimes... You notice this in, in, I think even Schopenhauer talked about this, that sometimes you work intensely on something and then you let it go and then you have the creative ideas. And it's about being intensely occupied with something and then letting go that suddenly that expression or creativity can come out. Yeah, so what actually happens is that our conscious part of the brain, which is only approximately 60 bits per second, this is the part where you focus on a problem. And then when you leave it and take rest, 
Then your unconscious brain activity, which is 11.2 million bits per second. So that's 200,000 times as much per second. That's the part of the brain that solves the problem. So, and while you're at rest, you suddenly get the right solution or the right idea. So this is also with artists that start to think a lot, they get a writer's block. Because with your 60 bits of ratio, you can never create something original. Yeah, and it's also a lot of tension and a lot of pressure. Sometimes I tell my clients who want to make social media content, I mean, reduce the time between inspired action, have an inspired idea and putting it out there. Yes, yeah. you can plan your perfect video and et cetera. And timing is important, et cetera, with the stand-up comedy. But if you have an inspired idea, when you're like animated and you're in the idea and you're in the passion and enthusiasm, people will like it a lot more. You embody it than planning it out, writing it, then saying in two days, I'm going to film it at a perfect location. You're like pissed that the angle is not okay. And then when you speak your message, that passion, that inspiration is just way less. That's so true. So we... Because we live in this world where we think I'm this separate being and I need to control everything. So this is also what I see happening in companies. We even want to control when we will be creative. That's what we call having a brainstorm session. They never work. It's simply not how the brain works. So you get all old ideas that people tell you again, but it makes no sense. So it's about letting go. First focusing and then let it go, and then your brain will give you a present. This is the right idea. So, And also, if you want to create something, don't overthink it. Simply start doing. Because if you think, you only use 60 bits per second. And if you instantly start doing, you use 11.2 million bits. So, And while you start doing in the creative process, many new ideas will pop up that you couldn't have thought of beforehand. Just do it, as Nike would say. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing in the brain, right? When you want to learn things, the best way is uh, doing it or teaching it to other people. I don't know which part of the brain it is, but just doing it and then just building up the repetitions or teaching yes. it and creating. When people would look at originally how I created my content, it was like I had big topics and then sub, uh, subtopics and I put like the big ideas under that like a spider web and it connected like, oh, it's an impressionist. Oh, it's Van Gogh. Oh, it's that. Like I linked it, you know, so I could grab those concepts. But that, that's a bit how the brain works, you know? Yes. So when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was written, it's not that his idea came from out of nowhere. No, he first did put on so much music inside his brain and his brain was mixing it. And then he said, here, Freddie, there is Bohemian Rhapsody. So it's first learning a lot, putting it in, and then your brain will give you something creative. I'm going to ask a stupid question. Maybe, I don't know if that's stupid questions, but when they put on these electrodes on someone's brain and they measure the activity, what do they actually measure? Is it just electricity in the brain or are there some waves outside of the brain that they measure? That depends and and on mirror neurons and these things, like did they measure it actually? Like something that is outside of the physical body that it also belongs to the consciousness? Well, you, there are different techniques to do it, but, but one is that you measure the electricity in, in a way. So you can see what part of the brain gets active. But also with an fMRI scan, that's a different technique where you also can see which part of the brain becomes more active in when you stimulate certain things. Because I'm wondering, you have some guys, I mean, it's very basic, but they can think about the color green and then the cursor would move to the left side. I'm wondering how they do that. How can they, you know manifest an idea and then have it out there, you know, and have something perform an action. It's like crazy how in the future will be virtual reality, artificial intelligence, that's almost you can create a universe just from your brain. Yeah, that's even people missing an arm has a, they get a like a robot arm and they can use the arm by thinking of it because they can measure the brain activity that corresponds with moving your arm. So that's very interesting. How did they do that? They just measure like all the kind of things that are involved in that specific action and they narrow it down to some kind of yes. signal and then they can mimic it, which makes that action. Yeah, so there are always like neurons firing and, and when the more neurons fire, they can measure the activity and then they can program it like oh, this is the activity that corresponds with moving the hand, for instance. This is how they do it. And now Elon Musk want to put a chip into your brain so they can even do more. And This is the thing that I'm interesting about with Neuralink and stuff, and he did it with rats, and he's shooting up uh, satellites in the sky like a satellite junkie. 
I'm afraid that people will. This is also the thing that I found interesting. I saw like something from uh, the BBC and it was a series and they were very politically correct. The woman was there and said like she was a woman and she said like, yeah, I'm, I'm not living in the right body. And the woman, politically correct, like, yeah, sure. If you're a boy, that's fine. You know what she said? No, 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 no. I'm not a boy. I'm transhuman. I want to merge with technology because this body is too limiting. I want to explore all identities and I am just that. So that was like, yes, if biology is purely subjective, why be limited to this human experience? Why not plug into the matrix and just endless choices is horrifying, but people still think it's, it's amazing. Always having to make a choice is complete hell. But that was the next thing. She wanted to be transhuman and merge with the grid and explore all identities and potential futures. Yeah, and that, this is going to be just another mismatch from the brain program to live as a hunter gatherers and now... So it's it's the next struggle. And this is also now they invented CRISPR technology so people can become 500 years old, maybe a thousand years old. <laughs> this will involve so much mental struggle because it's also, we are used to die at approximately 40 years old. I mean, I'm an old guy in, in that way. Sometimes people would get older, but not that often. And maybe you have, the, you have the mind of a 16 year old. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So when you're in a midlife crisis, we didn't used to have one, but now you're like 40 years old and the body, the brain thinks like, wait a minute, I'm still alive? Hmm, what's, what is this all about? And they start to think like, oh, is this really what I've done with my life? And then you become depressed and then you buy a sports car and stuff. But if we get a thousand years old, it's going to be a huge struggle. I mean, what would we do with relationships? <laughs> I mean, already this fear of missing out, just checking your phone all the time, I'm missing out. But now you're just missing out what? Scrolling on your phone? Then you're missing out by your avatar skydiving in New Zealand because you can do it. You can just do everything. You want to relive a battle. You want to you have sex with Cleopatra, you know, and so they, they, they remake her and you want to do it, I don't know, in Alexandria at, and they rebuild it. You can do everything. Yeah, but the problem with the brain is this is an apparatus that is programmed to survive so it will get used to everything. If you dive in the cold sea, your body will adjust in a few minutes. If you go in the jacuzzi, your body will adjust to the hot temperature in a few minutes. This is also when you drink alcohol, first it's like, oh, dopamine, dopamine. But if you become an alcoholic, you need like three bottles of wine to get the same vibe. But also with this stupid apparatus, we need more and more for the same dopamine shot. So imagine if we could do everything you say, yeah. it doesn't make us any happier. It's going to be bigger bigger struggle so we need to go back to how we were programmed originally in order to feel good about ourselves and the way we do it now is the opposite way we start to to put uh, so much stuff and, and electronic things on this human being we're not programmed to deal with yeah, and this is the thing that i've been thinking about for 20 years it, it, it's it keeps on being a major topic of interest for me because i'm also uh, uh too addicted i have the kitchen safe to put it away and lock it so i don't check it and i block internet during a certain time but let's imagine that you could plug in your brain in a hologram that could walk at any place in earth and you could feel like that experience every time you're at home and don't work you would have to choose with the experience you want to have you would be sitting with friends, having a drink and think like, oh my God, I could be swimming in the Red Sea right now. This yes. is boring. And always having to choose which experience you want to have. And this this would gonna, create burnout and be super exhausting. Yeah, we'll, we'll be so depressed. When do we feel happy? It's when we are with friends and family, people we feel connected with. That makes us the most happy. When we help other people and when we follow our passion. These are the three things that make us the most happy. That's what we know from neuroscience. And what do we do? Try to get as much stuff as we think. We need, we want as much likes as we want. And, and this is, it's dead ending street. This is the thing where I'm still struggling and wondering like how we can fight this. But I'm like, why should we do more things of things that make humans unnecessary and makes us unhappier? <laughs> Faster, easier, quicker, and more unhappiness, more depressions, more relationships that don't work, etc. Shouldn't we be in control of technology or maybe reset some things when it comes to technology? Do we have to worship this technology as the ultimate goal in life and keep chasing it without ever catching up? It's like Joshua Bach said, we are smart, but not smart enough. So we invent things, but we're not smart enough to, to prevent us from getting extinct. And I think he's right. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, and also the I don't know if that would be a counter movement of like a hippie 2.0 that will be like let's go to nature, let's go more local, let's go back to you know not to the savanna but more traditional systems that our brain like you know can calm down and go more to its essence, you know. But that hasn't been there since the Enlightenment, like technology faster, you know, and that's the ultimate speed out of society, and all the rest should just follow, you know. Relationships should change, biology should change, jobs should change as at a rapid speed, like. Facebook is maybe there 20, 25 years. How much this has changed society? It's insane. And it's only going to be increasing. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I know. And I think there will be a counter movement, which is already going. I don't think we, we will be that happy with all that technology. And it, no mouse will ever build or construct a mousetrap. We're the only species yeah. that does it. It's so weird what we do. <laughs> but maybe... If there is a big crisis, crisis is always the moment where things change. Maybe first we have to dive fully into it, go into a crisis, and then like realize, hey, wait a minute. But we live, like people don't realize this. I've been saying we've been living in World War III for a year and a half, and the war is uh, against the perception and then the handling of information. A lot of the same things when I studied history, I see a lot of things repeating. But it's very difficult to, to say that we live in transitional times when you're in that bubble, <laughs> you know? True. Because and and because it's been done so gradual, gradually, people do not realize what's actually going on. Let's say in, in March last year, they would instantly say, "Okay, now wear a mask." Yeah, yeah. And if you don't take a vaccine, your life is over. Yeah. People say, "What? Are you stupid?" Yeah. yeah. No, but it's done step by step. It's so it's been done so cleverly. Yeah. I, not that cleverly, I think, because some things are so obvious. Yeah. But uh, yeah. It's it's very exciting times. Yeah, when I would show the footage and I would put on some Benny Hill music on it, like of all the crazy stuff that happened the last year and a half, and I would show that two years ago, they would think that happens in North Korea in some kind of mental institution. Really. True. So, so true. But now there are millions and millions of people going on the streets because they don't want this anymore. And I think that's... We need a revolution in order to get rid of this communistic state that we'll be living in. Yeah, that's, this is the thing. And, you know, can you say that as democracy right now, like nations don't matter anymore? Like Facebook, big tech has more money than, uh, and power than the European Union. You can say what they want. They removed the president of the United States just for the elections from social media and they and they blame the same presidents of interfering with elections. So it's like turning one way and then doing another thing. So... Yeah, I think those corporations and people in control of information and perception, they have too much power and they're by bypassing nation sovereignty, individual sovereignty. And if you have a research with some all about, let's have, you know, a reevaluation. I'll, I'll rather don't talk about the reset, reevaluation. What is a meaningful life? What can we do? How can we create technology? What can we learn from all the things we learn? How yeah. can we achieve stronger, healthier, happier, more fulfilled people? Sure, let's have this debate. But now I just see more control, changing it by technology, more power to a couple of institutions and just democracy or individual freedom bypassed. I agree, totally. <laughs> and people still think it's all about the virus. I mean, they created the virus themselves. Now Fauci had to admit he created, at least he funded <laughs> yeah. the whole thing in Wuhan. And now he comes up with the solution. It's like you're throwing a rock through my window and then you, you ring my bell and you like, I'm selling windows. I'm like, but, but you just broke my window. Yeah, yeah, but I'm selling it. Bill Gates is not going to check this podcast, but let's put this crazy theory out there. What if a guy who made a lot of millions by hacking an operating system and programming it saw the operating system of humans, which is their body and their consciousness, and thought, what if I could hack that? Yeah, but there has to be some alien in another dimension in order to program our four dimensions, I think. <laughs> who knows? I mean, I, I'm totally sure we live in a matrix, but I, I do not understand the programming of it. And also, maybe you also realize this, there's still a large spectrum of human reality that we still don't understand, right? Which bypasses the material and goes deeper than that. You can talk about consciousness, non-duality. You have other people talking about frequency, about vibrations, you know, these things. Like, this is also the thing that I feel technology sometimes impacts or energy because you talked a lot about consciousness but i'm wondering often in india they talk about energy what's the role of energy within consciousness well the materialistic worldview is like everything is energy 
And the brain is also energy and the brain creates consciousness. So it's the functioning of the brain. But the idealistic worldview, the non-dualistic is like, no, everything is consciousness. And Einstein's space-time is an appearance in consciousness. So, but the interesting thing is that scientifically, we cannot detect how the brain creates consciousness. So more and more neuroscientists move to the idealistic worldview, like, no, there's first, it's prior, consciousness is prior to everything else. So the brain is more like a receiver of consciousness, but it's, it's not a materialistic thing that creates consciousness. And this is a big change going on in people's paradigms. You mean that within consciousness, materialism was created? You could say that, yes. Yes, but actually there's no matter, obviously. I could say this is a bottle of water, but these are all atoms. Atoms are totally empty. There's just particles, elementary particles, and they're nothing. You know, it's totally empty. It's, it's only a brain... Because, because of the frequencies, it creates the illusion that this is, for instance, purple or blue, whatever you want to call it. So, but there's no universe. Like in the Matrix, there's no spoon. <laughs> yeah, and also sometimes people who are very much materialists or biologists uh, or we are the brain, they attack uh, religious people, less spiritual people, but sometimes spiritual people. But something what you see now in the crisis is that you have scientism, believe in science, you believe in it, you believe the prophets of science and they are true, but you don't actually know, you trust them that their scriptures are true and you believe in them. So we still think that we're past this religious instinct, you know, and being told what to do. And the church used to do it, but you can watch a lot of these big companies also just preaching the gospel or the apocalypse, you know, and people just following them and believing them. True, I work with scientists and Hardly any scientific research has been done properly. And this is because our brain has 70, more over 70 cognitive biases. So the I way- I map, you have a nice map. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so the way the brain interprets information, it's totally subjective already. This is even why an AI is subjective because it, it's an AI seems also to be racist <laughs> because it's our input that's coming into the AI and then it can't look at the world objectively. And so we can't too. And then with science, if a scientist has already got the preference that the outcome should be A, <laughs> the brain will interpret everything so it will be A. So let's not believe in science. Science is nice from time to time, but it's also a total subjective thing. As we can see over the years, because any scientific research will be challenged in, in years. That's also what Einstein said. I'm just one experiment away of being proven wrong, he said. And that's a clever. That's what the righteous mind of Jonathan Haidt also talks about, that we have an affectionate disposition and then we look for evidence to support it. <laughs> that's just it. That's just it. We just, it's like confirmation bias. So everything that contradicts our worldview, it will be rejected. Everything that is agreeing with us, we will put that into our brain. <laughs> what are you going to focus on right now, the coming uh, months and, uh, and years with these uncertain times? Who knows there's another lockdown or what happens in 2022? I really don't know what will be happening. So I have a lot of talks being scheduled, but if they uh, do not allow me to perform because I'm not vaccinated, then I think I will retire. Mm. So and I don't know what I will. I, I like to be creative, so I will be doing stuff, but I, I'm not gonna work anymore. Can you explain the reasoning behind it? Because uh, the, I mean, there will be a very biased audience that's more in favor of your choice. But can you explain the reasoning why you take that stance and draw that boundary? I could also give it to people, but it's not like here is a psychopath grandma killing Paul Schmidt on my podcast, you know, just explain your reasoning why you make that choice and also with dire consequences if you can. Well, the reason I don't take the vaccine is I know people who work in that business, so I'm, I have got information. And besides that, I have studied many, many people who have got way more knowledge of this than I have. And it's not a real vaccine. It's... Uh, it's a spike protein that might go through the blood-brain barrier and has got a lot of consequences. Some even say it's a bioweapon. I can't prove that. It's just, I do not trust it. It's a temporary contract that they have. 
we do not know the outcome, the long-term effects. Now we're even trying to put that stuff into children. And by the way, the IFR is like the same as the flu. It might be a tiny bit higher, but now it's like decreasing even. It's getting low. So I don't think this is, has got anything to do with corona. I simply don't believe it. And uh, I'm not going to put it in my body. And if the consequences that I cannot participate in society, then I will uh, take the consequences and retire. Yeah, for me, it's making a choice for the life you want to be living and the society you want to be living in. And every silent or open approval or acquiescing is just like building a society where you think like, do I want to keep on being shut down at any second, not being able to enter, not being able to hug, so much insecurity. Plus, I you you always have to go to the first question. Is this actually necessary? Because often people discuss about the mass. And like, no, no, no. Is it necessary? Well, when you look at Yanidis, his research, absolutely not. No. When you have the most vulnerable, yes, all the rest is completely disproportionate. There's nothing to back this up and has this draconian approach. When you look at that fertility infection rate, it's, it's so low. Like, why put all that money, that effort into this and not in making people healthier, eat better, exercise, connect, meditate? It doesn't make any sense. You have limited resources on the planet. Consciousness may be limitless, but you have resources. So you want to spend them in the best way possible to empower people yes. and also reduce the number one illness in the world, which is lifestyle illness, and you're enhancing it. So I don't want to participate in this societal module by just condoning because then I, then I approve of tyranny and I say, like, you can get away with this. But that's my reasoning for it, you know. True, true. And I, it's also people in power, also their brain gets used to the power and what the brain wants is even more power. So it's a never ending game. And this is also a mismatch because the leader would not be chosen, but people would follow the most talented person. So uh, when we were hunters and gatherers, we would live in groups of 150 people and the leader would have followers. But if the leader would misbehave, people would stop following him or her and choose another leader. But now the mismatch is that people are in, in high positions, also psychopaths, uh, and no one can kick them off. So, so we have to deal with these people in these places. And it's so addictive power, and that becomes worse and worse. And they also, in the end, have groupthink, and they have like the social environment with people also in power. So... It's very wise to be very critical to the people in power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because in a way, a lot of ministers or, or prime ministers, they're just like, you believe the propaganda that they say, not propaganda, but just in, in general, the propaganda, the information that you give you. You don't know the exact policy, you don't know the exact numbers. It's just the information that you're being fed and you believe it. But in a way, like normally when you're hunter-gatherer and someone is skilled, you can directly see action consequences. He's really good at hunting. Yes, good leader, let's do this. Yes. But they are, just have to be good at communication, perception, behavior, and information. And if that sounds good, it doesn't have to be good. That package just is good and people believe it. Yeah, so, so that's the new leader. The leader is being chosen by propaganda and not by being the most talented, most empathetic, and most kind uh, and loving person. <laughs> I talked about it with another neuroscientist, but I don't know how much research there is, but the more richer people are and more power they have, that they have more psychopathic tendencies or behavior that they have. Yes, that's true. Because you need to become that to have that position or people who are that are just attracted to that kind of position. Yeah, and approximately one out of 100 people is like a psychopath. So, but that, <laughs> with 7 billion people, there are a lot of those. <laughs> And mostly they're in high positions because they don't feel the empathy that a normal person would feel. So if they have to fire 3,000 people, it doesn't affect them. So it's, it's easy for them. Yeah, and one thing that's positive about the so-called crisis is you have to really manipulate people to make them do stupid choices because the most people want to do things because either they're in fear or they think that they help society. So they have to manipulate like crazy to help people do wrong things or make stupid choices. So that shows that innately people are much more innocent or not so malevolent as, as most people would be. Yeah, true. I think so. And the last thing that I also would love to say is 
I don't want to attack people who take the Xavines, etc. I think we're often too much focused on middle problems or bullshit problems. When we look higher up on what unites us, no matter the gender, the skin, the religion, etc., we have people who manipulate things, you know, put the puppets in play and they like to just, you know, divide and conquer, keep us occupied, give a vote. Oh, it's the it's the it's their fault, it's their fault. But when we connect with each other, when we come from love, connection, and we try to empower ourselves, our community, and stand up. We have so much that could unite us. But it's always like this unite and then, you know, creates tension. But if you would just look up and look at what connects us and look up at what's trying to manipulate us, we're so much stronger together. We're much more of a common enemy and common heart amongst each other than people think. And this has been, I mean, this is not the first time that this is happening in history. and. So it becomes a lot of power and a more communistic system, and eventually it always falls apart. And mostly also people in charge, they start to battle each other, but also because people just stand up and they don't, that's all the Roman Empire, it ended that way. Because uh, So it's not that I think it's hopeless. I think this is a temporary movement. So everything goes in waves, and this is the same thing. It's, it's a wave, and we're now... <laughs> I hope somewhere at the top of it, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, like I was there, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to wait. Yeah. If people want to find out more about what you do, hopefully the comedy in the future, the books you write, all the material you provide, wh- where can they check out more about you? Mostly social media or my website, paulsmith.nu. Yeah, or Facebook or whatever. Like the platforms that I don't like, I'm on them. <laughs> For now, right? For now, right? <laughs> what a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> what are you more, most passionate about right now? Or is there any seed to inspired action, a new book, a new idea that's been blossoming lately? Yeah, I'm writing the new book about non-duality and the thing you said with the three things like self-development, self-realization and trauma. That's my uh, latest book. I'm working on it. It's almost finished. And uh, I'm going to write new comedy that's coming up. I have a lot of shows planned ahead. So uh, I hope. I can go on stage and do that. Well, thanks for being on my stage and showing the world stage. I wish you all the best in your books and hope you get those performances out there to make people think and make people laugh. Thanks for being a guest on my podcast, Paul. Thanks a lot. It was fun. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.